Hey, good morning. Welcome, Journey. Glad to see you blew in today. What a, what a morning. Great to see you all. And how much fun is it to just, uh, for Sarah to allow us to be part of her journey and her story and uh, hear her testimony. Uh, I've, been, I've been walking with the Lord for a while and still, every so often, I need God with skin on. Just somebody telling me God is real in their life because he becomes more real in mine. So uh, that was a treat. Saturday morning, I received an email from our lead pastor, Brian Hopkins, who is still employed here. (laughs) If you've been following it all, Brian and Dana chose to uh, adopt four sisters from the Congo. And they went over to get them, and uh, they have entered into a series of events that I could only term as surreal. And uh, in this week, they, this last week, they've hired an attorney who specializes in this kind of dilemma, and uh, they feel this is kind of a make-or-break type of week. And he wanted me to express to you how desperately he wants to be here, how desperately he misses you, and uh, wonders if we would just join with him and Dana in really just praying and maybe even fasting part of this week to implore the Lord to provide some kind of breakthrough. So let's just bow our heads as we begin this morning. And uh, as we bow our heads to pray, could I ask you, would you be willing on Tuesday just to set aside one meal and fast for one meal on Tuesday as a body together and... uh, Use part of that time to pray for Brian and Dana and for a breakthrough. And uh, if you've had some commitments already on Tuesday, if you could pick Monday or Wednesday or some other day of the week and just say, Lord, I'll, I'll stand with them and I'll, I'll fast for at least one meal and I'll use part of that time to pray for them. And as our heads are bowed, if you'd, if you'd make that kind of commitment, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, I'll, I'll do that, Pastor. Yeah, all, all over, you bet. Let's, let's pray. Father, really all of us at some point in life have been in a situation where every direction we turn, it seems like there's a roadblock. And so in a very public way, that has been the journey of Brian and Dana these last few weeks. And we, we pray in Jesus' name that you will provide a way through that you will encourage their own hearts and give them hopefulness and move mountains and do what is according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd also like to welcome, uh, we have some guests here that are just very personal to me. Uh, My brother-in-law, Dwayne Erickson, for 17 years was the leader director of our evangelical missions, and he's a man I hold in high esteem, and he's here with his wife, Jesse, who is my first cousin, and I am my own grandpa, and uh, anyway, we're, Marcy and I are delighted that they're visiting us today, and they're here with us uh, to worship together. This is a first in a series of four messages about the values that we're trying to develop as a community of believers. For about six months, leadership here has been meeting with Mike Gamble on Oxano, a consulting company, helping us walk through how to recalibrate our values, the things that mean the most to us, the hills we're willing to die on, 
And then how, right now, we're working on a strategy, how to actually allow those to bleed into and feed and spill over into every part of our, of our fellowship together. The first one is the one we're going to talk about today, and it is this theme, Imago Dei. Imago Dei means created in the image of God. That every person who walked through these doors today, every person who's seated next to you, that every person is created in the image of God. And however tainted or obscure that image is because of the events of life and sin and the fallenness, that image still persists. And not only that, that everyone who did not walk through these doors today is created in the image of God. And however tainted or obscured that image is, by virtue of events and choices, that image still exists. In 2012, Les Mis, based on a novel written by Victor Hugo, was made into a movie, a musical, One of the characters in the movie is Fantine. Fantine, played by Anne Hathaway, is a young woman who was living carelessly, the mistress of an aristocrat who, after she became pregnant, threw her aside. And in a culture where being an unwed mother just closed all kinds of doors, after having her young daughter, she gave her daughter to an innkeeper and his wife to take care of. The innkeeper charged exorbitant fees and she got a job in a factory and She was working there trying to constantly keep enough money coming in so she could provide for her daughter. And then someone at the factory exposed her as an unwed mother and she she lost her job. Now desperate to provide for her daughter, she first sold her hair, then she sold some of her teeth, then she went into prostitution. In the midst of all that, she became terminally ill. And in this place of great despair, she sings a song called, I Dreamed a Dream. And we're going to watch that. I dreamed a dream in time gone life worth living I dreamed that love would never die I dreamed that God would be forgiving Then I was young and unafraid and dreams were There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night. 
with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart as they turn your dream to shame He slept this summer by my side He filled my days with endless wonder he took my childhood and his stride But he was gone when autumn came And still I dream he'll come to me That we will live the years together So in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is being courted by people of prestige, standing, and privilege in the culture. And having been asked to dinner, we read about another woman who shows up uninvited. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. And her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. 
Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, and so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I've been in this industry for 40 years. This industry of the church. There's 400,000 churches in the United States. And in those 40 years, I have been almost always in a place of privilege. And about eight years ago, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I quit. The reason I quit was I just couldn't handle anymore the way churches treated people. How we treated one another on the inside and if it's possible to be worse, how we treated those who were not insiders. And I started getting so angry, I thought, these are generally good people, they don't need me throwing rocks. So I left. Because I have a gracious and long-suffering wife, she allowed me to move to England, where I got involved with the university and studied. For six months, I could not bear to go into a church. I had trouble even walking by one. And after six months, I woke up one Sunday at the Asbury Overseas House where I was living, and I thought, I should go to church. And I thought, well, I'll just go to the closest church I know, and just down the road was an Anglican church, an old stone English structure built during the Civil War in the United States with no heat. And all through the winter in that northern climate, Everybody would be bundled up in their coats through the entire service. And it, it wasn't a very dramatic service. But they did two things. They had an Old Testament reading from the Scripture and a New Testament reading from the Scripture. And then the organ would, would play and the 
key, the cords would shift. And the priest would come down off the stage into the middle of the center aisle. And two ushers would join him with candelabras, candlesticks. And another usher with a large Bible would stand with it pointing towards the priest. And he would announce, and now hear the reading of the gospel of our Lord. And every week I would go to hear the reading of the gospel of our Lord. And then after that, a little later in the service, they would announce that anybody was invited to come to the altar to partake of the Lord's Supper. And at the announcement of that event, I would always have my eyes fill up with tears, with emotions I could not understand. But every week I would go back in order to hear the reading of the gospel of our Lord and to kneel at that altar and be reminded of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And after a while I began to realize that I was being gripped by what the Apostle Paul talked about when he said, do not be easily removed from the simplicity that there is in Jesus. By the end of that season of my life, I rose with two convictions. Number one, that Jesus likes people. He likes the people who are here this morning. He likes the people who are not here this morning. He likes you if you walked in today and you're in grace he likes you if you walked in and you're in disgrace. He likes you if life has been good and you're here full of joy. He likes you if you are facing crushing disappointment. He likes you if you bear secret humiliation. He likes you. And the second, coming from the Lord's Supper, was that he will do almost anything to show you how much he loves you and how much he wants to be with you and for you to be with him. That he values us. He values you. That's Imago Dei. Imago Dei, that you and I are created in the image of God, and when God looks at us, when Jesus looks at us, he sees family. That's who he sees. And if I believe Imago Dei, then there are four responses that are part of my life. Four responses that we hope over the next months and years will be increasingly part of this community and this church. Let's look at them briefly. Number one, that I actually believe in my heart that everyone is created in the image of God. Jesus, in this setting, with these people of prestige, stops feeling the tension in the room, and he points and he says... Look at this woman. Look at this woman. Look how she's treating me. Look at her behavior. 
when others, embarrassed by her behavior, want to divert their eyes and look away and carry judgment in their heart, he's saying, look, look at this woman. This woman who bears the image of Christ. And if I really believe she bears the image of Christ, he was saying a number of things. He was choosing identification versus judgment. He he was saying, guys, guys, if you want to know whose side I'm on, I'm over here. This was not some rose-colored glasses I'm over here. This story tells us this is an immortal woman who had many sins. And he said, I'm here. This is family. It's not judgment. Our, uh, Our son Nathan used to have an uncanny ability whenever he traveled and flew to either be in the row in front or the row behind the crying baby. He got married to Laura, and uh, it was so prophetic that whenever we would see him, we would just ask for the next account of the crying baby. It just was like God will. He got married to Laura, and in April, they had a baby. And he's fussy. (laughs) And they fly. It's amazing how different the crying baby looks when it's not the baby of a stranger, but it's yours. Jesus said, I'm I'm identifying with her rather than judgment. I'm associating with her rather than isolating her. The Pharisees quickly We're identifying that she was not someone we have anything to do with. And he's saying, on the contrary, I'm associating with her. And even more profoundly, he was saying to the Pharisees, this woman has the capacity not only for me to minister to her, she has the capacity to minister to me. That she, this woman of many sins, but still created in the image of God, actually could minister to the Holy Son of God. And that ministry was received by Jesus. And this isn't an isolated incident. When he met the woman at the well who had had five husbands, he says, "Would would you be willing to draw some water for me? Not just ministered to, but ministered by this woman to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Believing that everyone bears the image of God. A second response is seeing others as God sees them. How did the other people in the room see this woman? They saw sin. This woman is sin, she has sin, she's behaving sinfully. It's her own fault, it's her own choice. Sin. What did Jesus see? Even before he pronounced, your sins are forgiven, 
he says to the Pharisees, see how she loves me. How could she be capable of such love? How could someone who has behaved thus actually have the capacity in that fallen heart to love Jesus? While they saw sin, in his eyes, he saw her love. This is not an isolated incident either. When people were bringing children to Jesus... The disciples were keeping them away until Jesus turned and he said, no, you're not looking at this right. Allow these children to come to me because they are the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Seeing others as God sees them. Third response is respecting anyone God puts in our path. Respect is an act of value. She has value. She is epitomizing the spirit of what I came to earth to do, Jesus is saying. She is sowing humility. She is sowing repentance. She is sowing love. She is showing kindness. This woman, this woman I respect. He said it of the Good Samaritan. The good Samaritan who was a half-breed and so the Jews would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. And yet he picks the Samaritan out and he says, when a man was robbed and beaten up on the roadside, even though people of prestige passed by, this man, this good Samaritan, he's the one that stopped, bound up the man's wound and took him to an inn and paid for his medical expenses. He had value. And when he was walking through the city and Zacchaeus, who had been cheating people for years as a tax collector, got up in a tree so he could see Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm going to your house. I want to go to your house today because you have value. Respecting anyone God puts in our path. Our fourth response is welcoming all people. Not just the ones who are like me. Welcoming all people. This isn't, about, this isn't about the woman now. This is about Jesus. What was there about Jesus? That this woman and the woman at the well with her five husbands and the woman taken in adultery and the good Samaritan and Zacchaeus and others were, were safe in his presence. The holiest man to ever walk the earth. And these people felt safe. Felt like he threw open his heart and he welcomed them into his presence. Now my mind is tired. It's been tired for a couple of weeks. And when I found out I was going to be speaking today, I talked to two of my kids and both of them, in separate conversations, said, well, tell them about, Wil- tell them about Wilbur Plogger. So we're going to finish by my telling you about Wilbur Plogger. Now, I never knew Wilbur Plogger, but I know people who knew him. And Morris Chapman, who will be part of this, is someone I heard personally tell this. So let me tell you about Wilbur Plogger. 
One day, Morris Chapman, the pastor of the prestigious downtown First Baptist Church of Albuquerque, New Mexico, was at his desk. It was a day off, so he was answering the phone, and the phone rang. And on the other end, he heard this voice. Well, hello, pastor. My name is Wilbur Plogger. I am a rodeo clown. I am in town for the New Mexico State Fair, and any time I work this fair, I always worship at your church. And I heard you were new, so I just wanted to call and let you know that I'm going to be worshiping with you this Sunday, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, Pastor Chapman said, Wilbur, thanks for calling. We're certainly going to look forward to seeing you, and I'll try to meet you and visit with you when you come. Now, Wilbur said, because I'm going to be there this weekend, Pastor, I'd sure be, I'd sure be uh, happy to, uh, to speak. <laughs> Pastor Chapman said, well, Wilbur, thank you. <laughs> and you know, I have an awesome responsibility that makes sure whatever goes on on the platform at the First Baptist Church honors the Lord. So I tell you what, let me pray about that. But we should meet. And so they set up a time to meet out at the New Mexico State Fairgrounds, and they had a meeting. Pastor Chapman said he was just a delightful guy. He's a believer in the Lord, been a rodeo clown. Along with that, he'd done stunt writing. He'd been in some Western movies, had a, had a storied career and a storied life. They sat and they visited a little bit about their faith and their own personal journeys and at the end of that, Wilbur just said, again, I'd, I'd sure enjoy sharing Christ with your congregation this weekend. They talked a little bit about doctrine, and Wilbur said, Pastor, I'm not a Baptist, but I know what Baptists believe, and I'm not going to say anything that's going to embarrass you as a Baptist. I, I just want to talk about Jesus. Well, well, Pastor Chapman says, all right, just let me go home and pray about this again, so he went home and he prayed. He just felt like the Lord saying, now, 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 now Morris, I'm in this. You, you just keep going along with me. I'm in this. And so he called Wilbur up again. He said, Wilbur, I just think, think maybe the Lord wants you to speak this week. And let me just come out and visit with you one more time. So he went out and he asked him some more questions about doctrine and make sure he was straight there. And, and then just as Morris was going to leave, he said, now, Wilbur, I don't suppose you have like a three-piece suit or anything, but maybe a sports jacket. And Wilbur said, well, well, okay. Pastor Chapman said, well, well, what do you mean, Wilbur? What's wrong? He says, Wilbur said, well, Pastor, I just feel like God blesses Wilbur the clown a lot more than he does Wilbur the three-piece suit. <laughs> and... Pastor Chapman says, you mean, you mean you want to come and preach in your clown outfit with, with the red nose? Well, well, Pastor, if it's all right with you. Pastor Chapman said, well, well let me go home and pray about this. <laughs> and so he went home. He just felt like the Lord saying, you know, you're going to have to trust me on this one. So he called up Wilbur, and he says, well, Wilbur, you just come on. You come on and you preach, you preach on Sunday. And he thought to himself, we'll probably just both leave town together. And uh, so that Sunday, 
Morris Chapman is sitting on the platform in the prestigious downtown First Baptist Church of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Next to him is Wilbur Plogger in his rodeo clown suit. And Morris said, I watched people as they came around the corner, went through the back doors of the sanctuary and looked up. And it was worth coming to church just to see the look on their face when they saw this clown sitting up front. They had their song service and then Morris Chapman introduced Wilbur Plogger Wilbur Plogger got up to speak. But before he got up to speak, as the service was going on, he leaned over and he says, Now, Pastor, I wonder if you'd pray. I've invited my dear, dear friend of many years, Mel Lambert, one of the great rodeo announcers, to come and hear me speak. He says, I've been praying for Mel for years. and I've been sharing Christ with him for years. And I love him. Mel has never really received the Lord, but he said he'd come because I was speaking. Pastor Chapman says, well, Wilbur, I'll I'll be praying for Mel to come and to hear you. Wilbur Plugger got up. Chapman said he just killed, murdered the king's English, but he oozed the love of Jesus, and he told his story of Christ and his own walk in faith and sat down. Chapman says, I got up and gave what was in their tradition, an altar call. They had a big, where we raised our hands, they had a big altar in front, and they'd invite people to come forward and kneel. And he said, I gave an invitation for people who wanted to receive Christ. And a man came up, and then a young woman, and in their tradition, he says, I went down, I prayed with the man, I prayed with the woman, but he said, all the while, I had to admit I was disappointed. I thought maybe something really unique was going to happen, really unusual, that God was just going to do something so special. He said, and as I was just finishing up praying with the young woman, I heard from behind me these words. Preacher, here he comes. He says, I looked over my shoulder in time to see Wilbur Plogger jump over the altar rail. And I looked up and halfway down, halfway down the center aisle was Wilbur Plogger's old friend, Mel Lambert. He said, I watched Wilbur Plogger run up to him and throw his arms around him and take him by the arm and walk him up to that altar. He said, he knelt down. He said, preacher, he's all yours. Morris says, I knelt down, and he said, Mel Lambert prayed the simplest prayer. He said, well, Lord, Wilbur's been telling me. Wilbur's been telling me about you all these years. And I figure it's time for me to meet you for myself. Would you come into my heart? Morris Chapman said the drama of that moment was so great, I didn't see what was happening around me. Because when I looked up, from one end of the altar to the other, it was filled with people. And all the way down the center aisle, and all the way down the side aisles, Morris Chapman said it was the single greatest one-day revival in the history of the First Baptist Church in downtown Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, here's what I want you to get. 
I want you to get that Wilbur, carrying the Spirit of Christ, threw open his arms, said, here he comes. And that in our failure, in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our humiliation, God wants us to know that that's Jesus' attitude towards us. That he's not ticking off every item of performance. He's saying, look at, here she is. Your family, I'm so happy to see you. My dad died a couple years ago at 86. My mom is still living in Williston, North Dakota at 88. And though they had many faults, never once were they not happy to see me. Were they not at holidays looking through the window waiting for me and my wife and our kids to arrive? When I was in grace, when I was in disgrace, when I felt great, when I didn't, it didn't matter. Because love does not keep account of those things. And so Jesus tells us about a prodigal son making his way home and a father who threw open his arms and ran towards his son. He says, you are here. That's a mago day. That you, in this room, and the children in that wing, and the people in this valley who will not darken the door of a church on this weekend are created and carry the image of God himself. Well, let's set our things aside. And Would you bow your heads in prayer with me as we finish? Thanks for being so attentive this morning. And, uh, our heads bowed in prayer. Could I, could I ask, ask us? For some of us, this would be a great day, just as the day came for Mel Lambert to invite Jesus into his heart in a simple way. Some of us in this room, this is your day. Jesus, just as he invited Mel Lampert, is saying, would you pray a prayer like that? Right where you're seated, you could say, Lord, I've held out too long. I've done my own thing too long. I'm sorry. Would you forgive my sins? Would you come into my heart? Would you give me a new start? And you can pray that prayer, a prayer like that, right where you're seated. And we're just going to wait. We're going to wait for a moment. And if you want to pray, you ask the Lord to come into your heart, to redeem your life, to give you his life. Would you do that as we wait?
Our heads are bowed in prayer, eyes closed. No one's going to embarrass you. But just to honor the Christ that's offering you life, if you prayed a prayer like that and you invited Jesus into your heart, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, I prayed that prayer. Just slip your hand up and put it down. Yes, all over here in the left and here in my left center, here in the right center, way over here in the right, way in the far right. The Bible says you're moving right here up here. You're moving from death unto life. Yeah, over here in my right. The Bible says I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who invites me in, I will come in. And Christ is coming into your heart right now. Amen. Now, could I ask the rest of us? Some of us today have been, been faced with crushing disappointment. Some of us carry secret humiliation for what's gone on in our lives. It's hard for you to imagine that Jesus is throwing his arms open and saying, I am so glad to see you. Could you imagine Jesus sitting right next to you today? You can feel the shift of the chair as he sits down. And then he leans over. And you can feel his arm as it goes on the back of the chair. And he moves towards you and he whispers in your ear. And he says, I know. I know. I know what you're facing. I know what you're carrying. I love you. I am so glad to see you. That is our Christ. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us today. For all these many who slipped their hands up this morning and invited you in and you promised that if they ask, if they open the door, you will come in. Lord, you've moved them from death unto life. And I pray that you'll find some very concrete way to cement that commitment and decision so Satan does not steal it. Give them the joy of this salvation. And for all of us who at different seasons in our life need to see our Christ throw open his arms, Lord, give all of us the capacity and the desire to throw open our arms. In Jesus' name, amen.